Thank you all for being back with us this evening. Uh, we're going to continue our uh, discussion about creation tonight. I uh, put in the bulletin this morning that this is going to be one more word about creation. And yet, for you, it won't be, because uh, tomorrow, hopefully, if you're staying on track, you will begin your weekly readings uh, on this word, our word of the week, uh, creation. And as I mentioned this morning, I hope that these readings have already been a blessing to you, will continue to be a blessing. I know that it will get more challenging as the, years, as the year uh, goes on. Uh, as with any New Year's resolution, it gets harder and harder to, uh, to keep it, to stay committed to it. Uh, but I hope that, that uh, you will do your very best to keep up with those readings. I know hearing from some of you that you have already enjoyed uh, getting to read in your book. And uh, I saw a great picture on Facebook, and I, I saw them here, uh, Sierra and Aiden Harnden and uh, Katie Crownover were busy reading their uh, devotional for the day. And you know, it reminded me that uh, this is something that families can do together that can be a great blessing to our families with kids, to build that habit of reading God's Word every day, of enjoying that uh, family devotional time. So that's not something I don't think that we've touched on, but I do see great potential uh, for this to be something that can be done in families. I saw, and I'm going to share this on Sunday morning at some point, but um, I saw that over 18,000 of these devotional books have been purchased. And so that means there are that many Christians uh, all over our region and our country who are engaging in this same study uh, that we are. And uh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty encouraging to me. What I'd like to know is how many congregations are participating uh, throughout our country, whether in a format like ours with the sermons or with Bible class, in Bible classes. I'm going to try to track that number down, and when I do... I will be sure to share that with you and with all the rest who will be here on a Sunday morning. Um, let's get back into creation. And uh, there's a quote that I think sums up much of what we talked about this morning. And here it is. Unless we know God as the creator of all things, we do not know the true God. Unless we acknowledge that God is behind all that we see, in our earth and our universe, unless that's sort of the baseline or the foundation of our knowledge of God, then we really can't know anything beyond that. Really, we don't know the true God unless we're willing to acknowledge that the God we worship, that the God we read about in the Scriptures is Creator God. That is the beginning of it all. Acknowledging that God made all things is the beginning. And unless we know uh, and believe that God did make all things, we don't really know Him. Uh, we don't understand Him. It, it's that central uh, to who God is, recognizing that He's Creator. We talked about a lot of the implications of the creation view and how when we embrace this view, we begin to see humans in a whole new way. Humans are not just some cosmic accident. Uh, Humans are the pinnacle of God's creation. We are exceptional in that we share the image of God. 
Our lives have great meaning and purpose. And all of that only comes about when we acknowledge that God is is creator. And when we buy into the Bible's depiction of God as creator. And so there are many implications of the creation view, and we're going to list some more of those tonight. Uh, So we're going to, this is a continuation uh, from this morning. There are other important reasons to embrace this belief that we all share, that God is creator. And here's the first one. I've got three for you tonight to to, uh, share with you. Here's number one. Creation proclaims that humanity is responsible to its creator. Believing in creation, that God made all things, means that you also believe that humans, you and I, are responsible to the one who made us. That we owe something to our creator. In Romans chapter 9, verse 1, Paul asks a question with an obvious answer. You don't have to turn there. We're going to turn to some other places momentarily. But here's the question. Has the potter no right over the clay? Has the potter, God, no right over the clay? Us? The people that he shaped with his own hands? Uh, The people that he continues to form? The answer is, of course not. He has every right over the clay. Uh, He is the one who shaped and formed the clay to begin with. The clay belongs to the potter. Because God created us, we owe our very lives to Him. We are responsible uh, for obeying our Creator. Just by the very fact that He made us, that He created us. Uh, Because of that, we ought to feel a sense of responsibility for following His will, for, for living as He wants us to live, for obeying His Word. Because God created us, He knows what's best for us more than we do. The potter knows what's best for the clay, how to shape and to form the clay into a beautiful piece of pottery, certainly more than the clay would know how to shape and form itself. Because God is behind us, He knows much better than we do how we ought to live, what we ought to believe, what is best for us. And therefore, we should want to obey God. We should acknowledge that God's ways are best because God is the one with whom we originated. We came from God, and therefore, um, He knows what's best, and we should therefore entrust our lives to Him. For Paul, the fact that God is Creator uh, is the grounds for belief in what He's doing through Jesus. Paul, in and I want you to turn here with me, Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 8. Paul says the fact that God created all things Uh, is grounds for your belief in what He's now doing in our age through Jesus Christ. Paul says, starting in verse 8 of Ephesians chapter 3, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul's unique purpose, his task, was to preach to those who were outside of the historic 
people of God to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. And he acknowledges the grace that has been poured upon himself to do that. And he continues, verse 9, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages, which we know is Christ, this plan that God had in place from before the foundations of the earth. And Paul here says, it's the God who created all things. He continues, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Paul is wanting them to see that the sending of Christ was was part of God's plan from before the beginning of time. This is part of God's eternal purpose. This is not some new plan of God. It was was in the works uh, from before the first man and woman were made. Paul here is linking the God who made all things with the God who revealed Jesus. He's saying they're one in the same. He's trying to connect the dots to put the pieces together for these early Christians. And our lives belong to that God. The God who sent Jesus, yes, but also the God who made all things. Creator God. They are one in the same. And we owe our lives to Him, our Maker. Creation. It proclaims that we're responsible to the one who made us, to the one who shaped us. We owe our lives to him. Now, I've got a couple more for you, and the next two are much more specific. And they are offshoots of this this first one. So these are specific examples of obedience to God as our creator. All right, and here's the first one. I'm just going to lay it on you. Creation, according to the Scriptures, excludes same-sex relationships. And this is not news to you. We talk about this here. We had a whole quarter's worth of Sunday school classes or a class about this. And before I say anything further, I want to go straight to the Word, uh, to Romans chapter 1. Uh, verses 26 and 27. What I believe is really the slam dunk case, biblically speaking, against homosexuality and same-sex relationships. Paul here says this to the Roman church. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged Natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Verse 27. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, for other men. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. If this is an issue that is concerning to you, in our world today, I would remember Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. I would stick that away in your your brain pan and uh, have that uh, ready to go when you're faced with, with this issue. Paul here argues, his 
main line of argument is that same-sex relationships, homosexuality, they violate nature. Uh, They go against the created order set in place by God from the very beginning. And I know Frank, he spent a lot of time talking about this, so this is a rehash here. But that is Paul's argument, that these types of relationships violate how God set up the world from the very beginning. Jude also mentions people indulging in sexual immorality in Sodom and Gomorrah. And he uses this same language. This is Jude chapter 1, verse 7. He talks about how they pursued unnatural desire. Desire that doesn't cohere with how God set up the world, how he created all things. So this reminds me that our opposition to homosexuality, it does not come from a place of hatred, as so many people often claim, uh, that, that Christians who still think this way are bigots, they're haters. It also doesn't come from a place of, of narrow-mindedness, that you know we are backwards uh, in some way. This view comes from a strong belief that the practice of homosexuality violates the way that God made the world. And violates what is best for his people. It goes against what we believe will lead to health and wholeness and human flourishing. And so to me, it is a position of obedience, yes, to the word of God. To creation, to nature, to to the way God has designed the world to work. Uh, It is a view of trust. In trusting that God knows what's best. And this kind of goes back to the first one in, in in saying, yes, I trust the Creator more than I trust the creature in terms of what's best for me. Uh, I don't know what's best for me as much as God does because He's the one who made me. But this is also a view of love. This is a view that says, we don't believe people ought to be engaging this in these acts because we don't believe that's what's best for them. Not only for their soul eternally, but for their life in the here and now. It's not... It's not what will lead them to a place of happiness and health and wholeness. Now, it's going to be difficult for us to convince a lot of people that this is a position of love. Most people have already decided this is a position of hate. This is a a position that only bigots and backwards people take. And that this position is on its way out. That we're on the wrong side of history. I could go on and on. Uh, but you know as well as I, we've got to stand by this. And, you know, it's not something that's just arbitrary, and I'll mention this on the next one. It's not just something that's on a list of rules that God handed down. It is rooted in the very fabric of the created world. And, And Paul, the argument that he's making here is that behaving in this way goes against the way the world was set up from the beginning. It is unnatural. It goes against nature in the way God designed it. And so creation, according to Paul, uh, excludes same-sex relationships. This is another implication of embracing uh, this view that God created all things. And the last one that I want to lay on you tonight is this. Creation establishes the foundation of the home. 
And here, for this, we're going to go to Matthew 19, a passage with which many of you are familiar when Jesus talks about marriage. Lucas read this for us earlier. Matthew 19, starting in verse 3. And Pharisees, these experts in the law, but also very concerned with following the law to a T, came up to Jesus and they tested him by asking. So this is not an honest question. They weren't sincerely seeking the truth. They were trying to trip Jesus up, as they often did. And they said, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And We could get into why they asked this and why they asked it in the way that they asked it. There's a lot of history here uh, in the Jewish religion regarding this question. But we'll bypass that tonight and go straight to Jesus' answer. He says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, for this point that, you know, creation establishes the foundation of the home, we could have gone straight to Genesis chapters one and two, where we camped out a lot this morning. But I wanted to go straight to Jesus, who quotes from the book of Genesis in order to make his argument here. Jesus appeals to the Genesis account of creation to argue for the permanency of marriage. They say, is it lawful to divorce somebody's wife, your spouse, for any cause? And Jesus says, do you not know that from the beginning, Jesus takes them all the way back to how God set up the world when he created all things. He made the male and female. And then he he quotes uh, directly in verse 5, A man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, they shall become one flesh. Therefore, what God has brought together, no man, no person should put asunder, should separate. Jesus here uses the creation narrative to argue Uh, for this lifelong commitment, that is marriage. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And I, I think that probably they had this backup question in mind from when they first started the line of questioning at Jesus. They, they, they were ready to pounce with this one. They had it, you know, sitting on deck. And this is what Jesus said. He said, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And so Jesus elevates what God does from the beginning. He says it's of utmost importance for you to think about how it all began. From the beginning, Jesus says, God intended for this one man for one woman arrangement Uh, to exist and it was only because your hearts were hard that Moses was able to tamper with it a little bit but the point is that Jesus in arguing for this most important building block of the home and and society and 
of the faith, marriage, he argues for it based on creation. And so again, our conviction on marriage, the importance of marriage, it's not arbitrary. It's not like we you know, pulled it out of the air. It's not like God has this list of rules that he said, follow these and there's no reason you know, behind it. Marriage, the importance of marriage, it is, and, and the reason that we put so much stock into it, the reason that we talk about having healthy marriages, the reason that we're so concerned when couples are having trouble, when marriages are on the rocks, when they're on the verge of splitting up, is because we believe that marriage is rooted in the way that God made the world. That, as Jesus says, from the beginning, this is the way that God wanted it to be. This is according to Jesus. From the beginning, this was God's intention for the family. And so, we dare not tamper with that. And to veer from this, according to Jesus, would be to violate God's created order. How he, established, how he, how he designed the whole thing. It's rooted in that. So, these are three more uh, important reasons to embrace creation. Th- these are beliefs that rise up out of that foundational belief that creation proclaims we're responsible to, for obeying the one who made us. And more specifically, it is, it is creation that excludes same-sex relationships and establishes the importance of marriage, the the very foundation of the home. So again, choosing to believe or not to believe that God made all things, uh, to embrace the Scripture's view on creation or, or not to, it matters deeply. And it's not a decision without a lot of consequences, one way or the other. And I just wanted to share a few more of those with you this evening. Now tonight, you once again have an opportunity to come and make Jesus the Lord of your life. And I would, uh, I would greatly encourage you, if you have yet to put Jesus on in baptism, to make this night the, the night that you do that. The night that you go down into the water and come up a new creature pure and sinless, assured of eternal life in God's presence, part of God's family. I know we've got people here tonight who haven't made that decision. And boy, would would this room erupt, would the heavens erupt with rejoicing if you were to come and do that this evening. Or if you are struggling in any way or you need prayers, this is also a time you to come, don't be afraid to come before those who love you the best, before your brothers and sisters in Christ, to ask for prayers and to be strengthened in this coming week and beyond. We're going to offer the invitation and we encourage those who have a need to come as we stand and sing.